This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. You can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 194 of Sorta Awesome, and I just want to take a quick minute to thank you all so much for the incredible celebration you created for us over in Apple Podcasts for our fourth birthday. You guys, we did it. 500 amazing, kind, and thoughtful reviews for Sorta Awesome in Apple Podcasts. I am blown away by how generous you are with your feedback. And I know many of you who aren't on Apple devices have told us that you left reviews where you listen to podcasts. And really, honestly, a great way to spread the message of awesome is just telling your friends about it, whether it's in person or on social media, whatever. We are so overwhelmed by your kindness to us. So thank you again. And if you ever want a super easy way to pass the show on to a friend, maybe even a friend who isn't even really that into podcasts, remember, you can always send people our way via our website. So. Tell your friends they can head over to find us at SortaAwesomeShow.com. Okay, this is episode 194. And this week, we are continuing to explore all the ways that awesomes know how. Remember that awesomes know how is our theme in 2019. I'm joined this week by a very brilliant awesome who really knows how to take Enneagram learning to the next level. Havala Segman is the creator of the Transformation Collaborative, a website devoted to finding simpler ways to live, ways to practice kindness towards ourselves and go out into the world with intention and joy. She's also the creator and host of Little Faith Podcast, the podcast for parents who doubt. And as of this year, she's the creator and educator behind the Enneagram for Everyone course, which just wrapped up its first round. So Havala, my goodness, you are a busy, busy woman. Welcome to Sorta Awesome. Thank you, Meg. I am just delighted to be here. Well, it's so good to talk to you again. You were kind enough to ask me to go onto your show, Little Faith. Yeah. We talked Enneagram, all things personality types. It was so fun. Yeah, I think it was back in January. Is that right? Yeah. Awesome. So I will link to those episodes from when I got to go to Little Faith. I'll link to those in the show notes for you, Awesomes. But Havala, I'm so thankful that you are joining us today because here at Sorta Awesome, we have definitely been on an Enneagram journey here over the past four years. <laughs> we have talked about the basics a few times. We've talked about the Enneagram in relationships. We even talked about how each Enneagram number shows up at the holidays. But I really think at this point, a lot of us are ready to take it to the next level. I know you are just the person to help us do that. Yeah. And do you feel like this is kind of a common thing that people, once they sort of figure out what their number is, a lot of times they're not content to just be like, oh, well, I'm a six, so I do this. I mean, it seems like there's this kind of like we're compelled to go a little bit deeper. Yeah, well, I think that that is the power of the Enneagram. And really what it's all about is that that next step piece, yeah. that transformation piece. And I think that it can be tricky sometimes to know how to get there because there is so much content just around the typing system. And it is so complex, which I think is what makes it so powerful. Yeah. Because it is so nuanced. But there's a lot to learn 
often or people can feel really overwhelmed with the learning before they can actually get to that next like, okay, so how do I actually use this in my life rather than just like, well, I'm this way. So (laughs) which is not very helpful. (laughs) Right. And you know, I wonder too, if it has something to do with the fact that for many people, a very common experience when they're first starting in the Enneagram is to feel kind of bummed out about whatever their number is. (laughs) I always tell people and it's hard, but I always tell people like you are going to know yourself by the low side of things. You're going to know yourself in the unhealth. Yeah. When you start laughing crazily because you're so uncomfortable, (laughs) you know you hit it. (laughs) And that's just the reality of like, I don't know, we just see ourselves that way. Yeah. It's very clear that way. But there is this whole other transformational piece. Like we're not meant to stay there. The point of the Enneagram is not to tell you how bad you are. (laughs) Exactly. I think it's so common for people once they get into Enneagram and they're talking to other people who know the Enneagram to feel like, like if I tell you what number I am, you're going to instantly know everything about me. And then we also think like, you're going to know like all of the skeletons in my closet. You're going to know all my dark secrets. (laughs) It's really vulnerable work. And I think it has blown up in the last, oh, five years or so. Yeah. You know, when I first learned of the Enneagram was over a decade ago. And hardly anyone knew about it. I mean, yeah, almost everyone I talked to, I was the one introducing them. And now it's everywhere, which is really great in some ways. But also, it's really easy to kind of just skate by on the surface. If you're not careful, it's really easy to use the Enneagram kind of as a club on other people and yourself. Oh, right. That's just something I'm always really sensitive to with how popular it is and how like surface level knowledge has percolated our greater culture. But the real power of it is going deep with it, which just takes time. It does. Okay. We took some questions from our sort of awesome Enneagram lovers spinoff group from the Hangout. You know, our Hangout has 5,000 women, which is amazing. And it is so busy in there. And we talk about all kinds of things, but Over time, people have kind of spun off and started smaller groups with more focused conversations. And so we have a very active Enneagram group. And I took some questions from them that you have prepared some thoughts on. Yeah, we are going to get to all of that here in just a few minutes. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. It's that moment in the show where we just kind of pause and reflect on whatever is awesome in our life right now, whether it's TV shows or podcasts, new products, whatever the thing is. So Havala, I'm so excited to hear what your awesome is this week. Yeah. Okay. So I was telling you earlier, I was kind of nervous about awesome the week. There's pressure behind it, guys. Like there's pressure (laughs) to like give you something you haven't heard before and do something, you know, my foreness comes into play. Like, is it going to be like, unique and special enough. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then I realized, no, have a stop. You actually have this really great thing. So my awesome of the week is actually occupational therapy for my five-year-old. <laughs> I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah. Before like a couple months ago, but it has been amazing. So here's what it is. Basically, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. She's a therapist. So she's like just on top of all of like therapy types of things. Like if somebody in her family needs help, she's just like, okay, I'm going to do it. Whereas I'm like, yeah, I really need to get back into therapy six months later. Like nothing. (laughs) (laughs) She was talking about her littlest who is about three, I think. And we hadn't seen her for a while. And she's like, just filling us in on life. She's like, guys, he's just been so difficult lately. Like just lots of rage and he's hitting and like bedtime is just terrible. And I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, you're describing my whole life. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) Our youngest had just turned five. And that was also kind of a point where I was like, wait, he's five. Like some of these things that we're dealing with, like waking up literally every single night. I've been waiting for like two years for us to grow out of this. We don't seem to be growing out of this. But you know, when you're in that space of like, okay, well, we're just going to get through this day and then I'm going to collapse on the couch. And then like, I'm sure in a couple months when school's out or when school starts, it's going to be better and we're going to work through this. I'm going to keep helping him use these techniques that I had, positive discipline things and like giving him choices and letting him feel freedom. But none of that was like really doing anything. We were having a really hard time with him. He, like I said, was waking up every single night. Mm. I'm not exaggerating it. If he didn't wake up, I would be like, wow, guys, he didn't wake up. Sometimes it was just I would wake up and he's in my bed in the morning. But it was when I woke up with him, he was awake for sometimes hours frequently. He would be awake for a couple hours, just like rolling around, maybe talking to me, 
And I didn't know what to do about that. Nothing was working. And he just had this very short fuse. We were all afraid of him, basically, right? Yeah. So like we have three kids. My oldest is 10, middle is eight, and then he's five. And he's extremely sweet and kind and funny until he's not. And it was just this rage. Like one morning, right before we started going to OT, his toast had almond butter instead of peanut butter on it. We were out Mm -hmm. of peanut butter. Yes. So he just like flung it, like zero to 60, flung it across the room, plate broke, peanut butter everywhere. And my reaction was, well, okay. I mean, that's kind of normal. So we'll just deal with that later. (laughs) We got to go now. (laughs) Like that's indicative of where we were. So I was like, okay, so I think maybe I should check out this OT thing because I've never heard of it. But everything you're telling me about how your kid has been acting, it sounds so similar to what we're dealing with. Yeah. And she was telling me some of the at-home things that she was being told to do, which was kind of like pressure on the limbs. So kind of like squeezing on the limbs, these different massages. Mm. And I realized, oh, I actually do that because he loves that. That's just something I've started doing and he like loves it. Basically, he's been going for probably around six weeks now. And he's sleeping through the night. He will wake up like maybe once a week instead of maybe sleeping through the night once a week. He's now waking up maybe once a week. And his moods are wildly different. It's unbelievable. He's gone from like, we're all scared of him to now. It's just like the volume has been turned way down and he's able to function and he's able to deal with his own emotions. Right. So the work that they do is doing a lot of work with like coordinating the body and the brain and the senses and the different systems in the body and making sure that everything's working together. Because what my OT said to me is that basically his body was just constantly staying in fight or flight, like in a very heightened state. And he was kind of there all the time. So when something happened, of course, it was really easy to fly up into that like really extreme because he was already so high up. Yeah. And so it has just been huge, 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 huge. They actually have a podcast that I wanted to share with you guys because like I said, I don't know if all OT offices use all of the same techniques, but I would guess they would. But when we go to here in Grand Rapids, it's called Family Tree Therapies. They just started a podcast in the last month or so, but it's called Family Tree Therapies Podcast. So they go over some of the things there. It's just been so helpful and so like, okay, we can do this. We can do this. Yes. And I totally notice when we don't stick with our at-home exercises. Yeah. We're like, oh, okay. Yep. Okay. We need to do it now and we need to make sure we're doing them twice a day because you are so different. He's just himself now. He's just himself so much more. That is truly, truly awesome when you see that profound of a change. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get it when you are just kind of going along in the sort of rhythms of life and it's easy to just like accommodate and adapt yourself instead of being able to step back and be like, oh, I think we need some help here. So yeah, and I wouldn't have even known OT. I would never have thought to go. I didn't even know that was a thing, that OT for kids was a thing. Most of us, when we hear occupational therapy, we generally kind of think of like recovery from surgery or, you know, something that people that have had maybe some kind of major medical thing happen. It's part of their recovery therapy, but a lot of us don't think of it in being something proactive that we can incorporate into our kids' development. Yeah, and the way they explain it is like, we do OT for kids, which means we help kids do their job better, just like we would help adults be able to do their jobs well. We help them be kids and they do everything from helping with like latch with first babies up to much older kids, whatever the kid needs to do their job of being a kid or being in school or whatever how being able to do that better. So great. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure there are many families out there who needed that little nudge of like, maybe we need to check this out. So great. Well, my awesome of the week this week is a YouTube video. And it's from one of my favorite skincare and beauty channels. Havla, as somebody who's on social media, I'm sure that you have noticed that it seems like everybody everywhere (laughs) is talking about skincare. And what products they're loving and all of these things. It's so important. I have learned so much from you, Meg. Not even joking. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I fully admit that I'm totally into this. But my experience, I'm sure for a lot of women, is that it can be really overwhelming when you're just kind of like hearing hit and miss like, I'm loving this product for this and this for that. And when you try to step back and go like, okay, but so what am I supposed to do? do and when, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it can be a little bit overwhelming. So 
One of my favorite YouTube channels for all things skincare and beauty is Stephanie Marie. I've actually talked about her in the past as an awesome of the week, but she did a very specific sort of like starter tutorial for skincare. It came out in March. And so the name of the video is Affordable Anti-Aging Skincare Products and Routine. Mm. So what she does, this is so helpful. (laughs) She just like, it's really like a starter course, but it's only 20 minutes. And she just talks you through what products are out there. Like she explains like all of the different like hyaluronic acid and I don't even know all of the different things like AHA and all of these things, different kinds of serums and all of the things that you're like, you maybe have heard people mention this product or that, but she really walks you through what these products do, who might need those products, because not all of us need all of the products, and then how to incorporate it into a routine. And she also really went out of her way to keep it affordable because the other thing is you can spend a lot of money on this stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So particularly if you're not in a phase of your life where you need a certain product, then, I mean, it might be nice to have your face, but I mean, truly, if you're trying to decide, okay, what are my must haves for this part of life that I'm in? It's so nice to have somebody just tell you like, oh, you definitely need this or no, 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 you don't need to worry about this yet. So anyway, I'm going to link that video in the show notes so that you all can go check it out because she just really breaks it all down for you, makes it not seem overwhelming. She gives you specific product recommendations that she loves. So she has combination sort of leaning towards oily skin, but she'll talk about if you have drier skin, you're going to need something more moisturizing than this. So it really covers the whole spectrum of what people might need at different parts of their lives. So Yeah. So again, the name of the video is Affordable Anti-Aging Skincare Products and Routine is from Stephanie Marie. And I will put a link in the show notes for you all to check that out. Those are our awesomes of the week, you guys. You know, every single Friday, we cannot wait to hear what is awesome in your life. If you haven't joined us over on Instagram, we do that every Friday morning over at Sorta Awesome Show on Instagram. And of course, we have our big Friday mega thread celebration in the Sorta Awesome Hangout group where we all share about what's awesome in our life, pictures and awesome stories and all kinds of fun stuff. It's really such a highlight of the week for sure. So if you have not joined us in our Facebook community, we'd love to have you at facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Awesome. This is the time of year where our days are spent juggling the demands of home life and work life and everything in between. And our evenings are usually spent at a ball game or a kid's choir concert. We have so much on our plate. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could be comfortable while we're doing it all? Luckily, we can, and we can look great doing it with the Dress Pant Yoga Pant from Beta Brand. You can rock that professional office look and feel totally comfortable hanging out with family and friends all evening long. I love that they have so many shapes, sizes, and colors to choose from. In fact, they have such a huge selection that it was so hard to decide. I went with the boot cut dress pant yoga pant because I love a great boot cut, but there truly are styles for every taste. They have straight legs, skinny, cropped, whatever pant style you feel comfortable in. And they are unlike any other dress pants or jeans I've ever worn. You really do stay comfortable wearing these from morning till night. This really is the perfect time to pick up Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants. And awesomes, when you visit betabrand.com slash awesome, that's awesome, A-W-E-S-O-M-E, all lowercase, you're gonna get 20% off of your Beta Brand dress pant yoga pants. Millions of women agree that these are the most comfortable pants you will ever wear to work. So again, that's betabrand.com, B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com slash awesome to get 20% off of your dress pant yoga pants. Awesome's one of my favorite things about the Christian faith is that we share so much in common with each other and with believers around the world. Every day, readers of The Upper Room read the same story in many different languages and pray the same prayer together. This daily devotional guide and the community it draws together invites people to listen to scripture as God's personal message, linking their stories to God's story. It also invites people to commune with God in prayer and see their daily choices and small acts of obedience as part of God's work. It also helps us realize our connection with others as a universal family of believers. At Upper Room, their goal is to foster an international community of people and congregations who are seeking God, building a vision of a new life in Christ, 
nurturing one another by sharing experiences of God's love and guidance, and encouraging one another in Christian action to transform the world. The Upper Room is committed to exploring and communicating a biblically and theologically informed vision of the spiritual life. I'd love for you to check out The Upper Room, and you can do that when you go to upperroom.org welcome to enjoy a free 30-day trial delivered right to your inbox every day. You'll also be able to access a wealth of resources with your account at The Upper Room. So go ahead, head on over to upperroom.org welcome for your 30-day free trial. Okay, so Havala, we have some questions to get to. Yes, we do. They are like, yeah, we've got some really specific ones and then some, I think, really big questions that are going to speak to everybody who's interested in doing the next level of work with the Enneagram. Let's just go ahead and dive into some of these specific questions, because I think we're going to be talking about some specific numbers in the beginning, but really a lot of these can apply to all the different numbers. So yeah, our first question is from Awesome Heather, and she's a two. And just as a reminder, Havala, you said you're a four. Yes. I'm a nine. So we're definitely, we come from different parts of the Enneagram with some different, you know, perspectives on things. But here, Awesome Heather, she says, as a two, how can I avoid taking on others' feelings? And is there a way to help my three husband to understand me and when I am taking on others' feelings? Remind everybody a little bit of background about who the two is and why this thing with taking on others' feelings might be a struggle for twos. Well, twos are kind of the givers of the Enneagram. They're the people that you want for your neighbors when something bad happens to you because... They will be there with the casseroles and they will be there with the childcare and they are going to take care of you. They are wonderful. Yes. But twos really struggle with just even knowing themselves, you know, similar to nines in that way, where they struggle to know like what's me and what's you. Mm -hmm. And they don't really think that people are going to love them. And that's kind of true of all these numbers. That's kind of what we're all struggling with. But they really think that if I do things for others, if I take care of others, if I provide them with what the things that they need, then they will love me. Mm. And so I really think that that is where that taking on others feelings comes from. Because if I, as a two, can take on all the things, that way nothing's going to fall through the cracks and everybody will be taken care of, but also they'll see how awesome I am and that they will love me for it, (laughs) right? Right. That's the underneath thing. But that drive to take on others' feelings, I think is born out of that drive to provide for other people Mm. in an effort to be loved. Because if I can take on my daughter's sadness, then maybe I can take that away from her and she'll feel better and she will be able to love me then. Mm, Yeah. Twos are going to bristle. I'm kind of saying like you're being selfish by doing that, I think. And I know that twos are going to bristle at that. But because twos appear very, very selfless and often twos think they're very, very selfless and they do a lot of selfless acts. But that underlying motivation is actually not as much about care for the other as it is for meeting your own need for love, which is really hard to hear. Mm. But that is where it's coming from, ultimately. So I think that things that can be helpful for twos in this area, like you can't just shut that off. That's so hardwired into you. But simply being aware of, oh, I'm taking on this feeling right now is huge. Just being aware of that is huge. And then the next step would be to have some sort of mantra or thing that you can do in the moment to remind yourself. It could be as simple as soon as you feel that, oh, I'm taking this other person's stuff on. You could just say to yourself, I am loved. You could say to yourself, I am enough. You could have a little breathing exercise that you do, right? You could just breathe in, hold it for four, breathe out for four. If you have something that you can do, that's not going to take a lot of time, right? Because it would be nice to just like, oh, I need to remove myself from the situation and I'll go sit and be by myself and center myself. (laughs) That's not going to work in our everyday life. It's not always reality. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I think that's where sometimes we get tripped up and don't move into some of these more healthy ways of being is because we feel this like, well, I have to do it this way, this big giant way. Oh, right. 
in the people that I've taught and in my own life, I see the most change when we do these tiny little things throughout the day. Yeah. So I think that's what I would say with that, like practice receiving as a two. That's hugely helpful for you to just practice receiving and not giving anything back and practice taking care of yourself in the way that you take care of others. Yes. And so she mentioned that her husband's a three. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, two, three, and four is the heart triad. Yep. Okay. And so three is right next door to two, but our threes is tuned into feelings. I can see how if they're not, this might be the source of some tension in terms of like how they each process feelings, even though they're both in that heart triad. Yeah. Threes are very tuned into feelings, but they're tuned into other people's feelings. So he probably knows when she is doing this. He can probably Uh, tell that she's feeling agitated because she's taking on these other feelings. Mm -hmm. Threes are not particularly tuned into their own feelings. That's where the kind of disconnect comes from. Yes. They probably both share that where they both are tuned into other people's feelings Mm -hmm. and not as tuned into their own. My guess is as a three, he's probably saying something like, hey, this is not productive. Why are you doing this? This is not helpful. (laughs) This is not going to achieve anything. (laughs) And I'm guessing that that's probably where that disconnect is. I would also say about that, though, it's not our job to get someone else to see our side or to get someone else to understand our inner life. Mm. We can say our experience but it's not actually our job to find the right way to convince them to see our point of view. That's actually the other person's work. So it might be a matter of just like saying, hey, I am feeling right now that I'm taking on these emotions and this is what I need for me. Yeah. And then letting your husband deal with his end of it rather than trying to figure out a way so he can understand. He may never understand. I think that's also part of the Enneagram that like we can have compassion without full understanding. And by understanding, I mean like experiential knowledge. So I'm never going to have the same experience in life as like my sister who's a seven. We can have compassion for the other person without fully understanding their perspective. That's been huge for my husband and I. I'm a nine. He's a five. And it is difficult for him to understand why it takes me a minute or sometimes many minutes (laughs) to know what I want in a situation, even if it's like the age old question of what should we do for dinner? You know, especially if it's a bigger thing, he doesn't fully and probably never will fully understand that like you don't understand that I'm completely disconnected (laughs) from what I want at all times. Yep. So if you want the truth, because as a five, he wants that authentic truth, no matter what. So we've learned just a shorthand of me just saying like, I need a minute to process. And then there's no back and forth of like, why would you not know? Blah, 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 blah. He just knows like, okay, you need a minute, take a minute. So that has been really helpful yes. to have that shorthand that has developed over time so that we don't have to keep going over and over the thing of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to the next one. Speaking of seven, you said your sister's a seven. We have a yeah. question from a seven from Austin Becky, who says, so that means I'm feeling repressed and reframe everything to be positive. Now, Becky said she's working on stepping back from the reframing when she does notice it so that she can have a better grasp on reality. But she's wondering when it comes to repressed feelings, what is the process for dealing with them in a healthy way? She said, I know I'm all up in my head, but I don't understand what the process would be to productively deal with my feelings. So again, give us just a little snapshot of who seven is and why this thing of reframing can also become an unhealthy thing for sevens. They are so good at it. They are so good at it. And as a four, I'm always like, do you not realize the world is terrible? I mean, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's why we need each other, right? (laughs) Sevens are often called the enthusiasts. They are party people. They're so filled with joy and happiness. They are always looking for the next exciting, amazing thing. They're definitely people that you want to be friends with because you're going to have a great time with them. So seven's thing is that they feel about half of the feelings. So they don't allow themselves to feel the negative feelings. That's because sevens are really afraid of kind of being trapped in that space of like feeling sad and feeling darkness. They're afraid that they're going to get kind of trapped in their own inner world Mm. of sadness. And so they just check out. They're like, why would I feel that when I could go have fun? Yeah, that's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that struck me 
when I was reading her question was the use of the word productivity because feelings aren't productive. That's not their point. Yeah. And she asked, how can I productively deal with them, basically? And my thought was like, well, that's actually not the question to ask. I think the question is, what are my feelings telling me? And how can I step into those in a healthy way? Yeah. So I think I would say the first thing that you might want to do is just allow yourself to feel them. And I know that's really simple, but really, really hard, especially for a seven. Yeah. So I think that just sitting with them and when you feel sad, maybe even verbalizing it, I feel sad, even if it's just to yourself, which also may sound a little silly, but can be really helpful and ground you in here's where I am right now. And reminding yourself, this is going to pass. This feeling is not going to trap me here forever because the sevens, like I said, that's something that is really scary. And then I think just, yeah, verbalizing them, writing them down. If you have close people in your life that you can connect with and say, I felt this today, I think that would be huge for a seven. Yeah. I also think that just helping you to kind of connect with that other half of feelings, that sad half of feelings. Doing something like starting up a practice of writing down, I don't know, between one and three things that were hard that day could be really helpful. That's not going to be helpful for all numbers. That would not be a good practice for me to do, but (laughs) (laughs) gratitude practices for me all the way. Yes, (laughs) But for a seven who is looking to take that next step and like she said, see the reality of the world, right? The full picture of what's going on. Taking that tiny step of saying like, I'm just going to write down one thing every day that was hard. Yeah. I think that that could lead to some really profound results down the road. So seven's in the head triad, right? In the mind? Correct. So being married to a five, I know that efficiency can be a really big theme. Yes. And so I wonder if they're like, okay, if I'm going to have to feel sad, let's do it efficiently. Let's be productive. Let's like get it over with. This through and over. Yeah, exactly. So I really like that idea of just acknowledging and just listening to whatever the negative emotion is. Yeah. What is it pointing you towards? What is it telling you? And not having to make it feel like, okay, that means I have to act on it. But just to be able to say, okay, this is pointing towards this in my life. And I can just acknowledge that this is a particularly sad or difficult or painful thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's move on to our next question. This is from awesome Jesse Lee. Many of you all know Jesse Lee. She's very active in our awesome community. She's a three. And so she says, as a three, I move toward nine in stress. How can I discern the difference between taking some calm and quiet for myself as a means of self-care versus detaching and sliding downward into Netflix binge unhealthy place? (laughs) (laughs) She said, I get mad at myself when my usual high energy get her done encouraging mojo flags because I fear that that means I'm being unhealthy. Uh So I would love to hear you speak to the threes experience of like, Because a good practice, as I understand it for threes, is to intentionally be reflective and contemplative sometimes. Yeah. But I think for a three who's usually operating at like the highest levels of energy. 100%, yeah. Yeah, there might be some fear there of like, wait, am I doing this healthily or am I doing this unhealthily? (laughs) Right. So threes are often called the achievers. They are, I was going to say type A, but it's not always type A behaviors, but Wherever you find them, they are going to be very high energy. They are going to not worry about doing extra work. They're always going to have the next thing in mind for how they're going to achieve and how they're going to show the world they're awesome, basically. And reality is they are awesome. Like threes are amazing. Yeah. So the thing that I would say to the threes is you don't have to worry about this, dear ones. Like (laughs) you... You are not like when you go to nine, it's going to be really, really obvious. We're going to go from like 100% to like, I can't get off the couch and I just want to sit here and watch my Netflix show for nine hours. Right. It's pretty obvious. So I really don't think that that's something that you need to worry about as a three. And I have a really strong three wing. So I get this like drive and like, Mm. oh my gosh, am I being lazy if I just like sit here so often at night? My husband's like... No, you're not going to clean the kitchen. I'm going to go do that. You are going to go sit down and watch a show. And I'm like, am I allowed to do that? Is that okay? <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> but for threes, because you are so focused on productivity, it's actually really helpful for you to intentionally practice things that are unproductive. 
So intentionally practicing things that you probably will at first feel as a time waster or things that you're just really bad at. And I know that that can be really hard for threes. I was in a class once with one and she had like an assignment that we had to do over break. And her assignment was to find something that she was not good at it and do it over break. And she was like, I can't, there's nothing. I can't think of anything. (laughs) We knew her well and we were like, yeah, what is there? There isn't. (laughs) So that can be hard. But finding something like that where you are doing something that is, not for any purpose, not for any reason other than being a human being. Yeah, That I think can be really profound for threes. And then just remind yourself when you feel that like little panic in your chest, am I moving into unhealth? Like you were okay. And if you're asking that question, you're not. That is so true. And I think the other thing that I wanted to hit on with that, because I see this come up, I've seen this over the years, like where we get a little taste of what healthy might be. And all of a sudden, unhealthy behaviors, like there's a values judgment on them. So if someone is in a time of stress or because that's really what it's about more than like healthy and unhealthy. And there is some levels of health and unhealth for sure. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of us, it's like stress is what it is. We go to unhealthier or more stressful ways of being. And it's so easy for us to place value on that not being healthy. It's not helpful for us. It's a signpost, right? If you do find yourself on the couch as a three and you're unable to get up, all you're doing is watching TV and eating caramels from Trader Joe's, then then that's a signpost that there's something going on to address. But that's not a value judgment on you as a person or you as a human and your worth. That is so helpful to hear for all of us. For me as a nine, I move towards six in stress. And so if I start having these thoughts of like, what if this doesn't work out? What if this is a, some anxiety driven things? And to not judge myself like, well, this is normal. I am in a lot of stress. And so it's normal that yeah. this is where my thought pattern is going to go. But to listen to that and kind of use that as a nudge to be like really tuned into what's going on. And I would also yeah. say too, for threes, who are concerned about the nine and stress thing. Like I can speak as a nine. Yeah, you can speak to nine. (laughs) Yeah, I can say as a nine in unhealthy mode, I think the biggest indicator is if you're completely disengaged and if you're avoiding everything. Yeah. Because nines, we're classic avoiders, but not (laughs) just, and I've said this on the show before, it's so crazy to other numbers, I think, but we will not just avoid bad stuff or hard stuff. We will also avoid good stuff. We just Mm. are like in total avoidance mode, really kind of like closing in on ourselves for some self-protection. So yeah, I think as a three to know the difference between like just slowing down and doing some normal, calm, reflective things to care for yourself. That's one thing. But if you're like in a place of completely disengaging from your life, and avoiding both good and bad things, then that would be definitely an indicator like, okay, I need to listen to what's going on here because this is not good for me. So yeah. Awesome. How often do you think about your socks? If you're like me, the only time you're thinking about it is when you think about how much you hate wearing socks. I mean, maybe that's just me. But I recently discovered socks that change the way I will think about socks forever. They're called Bombas. You've heard me bragging about these all over the internet because Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They're made from super soft natural cotton, and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy but not too thick. With many colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas look great in the gym, at the office, and out on the town. Honestly, Bombas are what feet daydream about. And for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. So awesomes, get your Bombas today at bombas.com slash awesome. You're going to get 20% off of your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash awesome for 20% off. Bombas.com slash awesome. Since I think we can all agree that looking good feels great. Just think about the last time you left the salon. You may have been there for hours, but you know you're going to take that selfie to put on social media because you look so good. But for most of us, really being able to devote that kind of time and energy into our look is not an everyday occurrence. Sometimes you just got to look good now and keep things as easy as possible. That's what Wonder Beauty is all about. Wonder Beauty is for the women on the go. Whether you're doing your makeup in the car or handling skincare at the gym, Everything is travel friendly and made to fit your busy lifestyle. Wander Beauty is about doing more with less. Their beauty essentials are multitasking and multi-purpose, allowing you to create a full look without a full makeup bag. 
everything is made with skin-loving ingredients from around the globe, so you do not have to choose between good-for-you ingredients and high-performance beauty. Because there's nothing more stressful than glass breaking and loose powders spilling out all over your bag, everything Wander Beauty makes is mess-free and stress-free. And because we don't all have time for a 12-step routine, Wander Beauty gives you maximum impact with minimum effort. I have been loving everything I've gotten from Wander Beauty, so awesome, I want you to check them out too. You're gonna get 20% off of your purchase at wanderbeauty.com awesome. That's wanderbeauty.com awesome for 20% off. wanderbeauty.com awesome. Okay, now one thing that many people had questions about Again, this is some more advanced Enneagram stuff. Once you've learned your number, you're really secure in what your number is and you're exploring different aspects of what that means to uncover healthy patterns. A lot of people will then begin to talk about, okay, now I'm hearing about the subtypes or the instinctual yeah. variants within each of the types. So each of the nine numbers we can look at and there's Enneagram theory that explores that there are three variants within each number. So I'm just yes. going to turn this over to you. I mean, I've done some exploring. I feel like I'm a total beginner at this, but I would love to hear you kind of give us a breakdown of what we're talking about when we hear this either subtype or sometimes it's called instinctual variance. What do we mean when we talk about that? Yeah, that's something with Enneagram that you will now see more and more of where there are different names for things. I think as more people enter the Enneagram land arena that you're going to see that. So when you hear instinctual variants or instincts or subtypes, it's basically talking about the same thing. Okay. First off, I would point everybody to Beatrice Chestnut. She is the queen of subtypes. She has a wonderful book that goes through all of them really in depth. She's your go-to person. She's done the most research on that. But for a quick overview here, basically it's that each of the types has these three ways of kind of looking at or engaging with the world. And we each have one that is our primary and then one that we go to some and then one that's kind of more repressed. Mm -hmm. The three are self-preservation, social, and one that's often called sexual. Traditionally, it's called sexual, but a lot of people now call it one-to-one -one because they feel weird about calling yeah. it sexual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't I take six? Because I feel like that's a really easy way to map it out, to see how they function. They just show up differently. So I think one of the powers of the Enneagram is that it is, like we talked about earlier, so complex, so nuanced, that it doesn't box you in, in the way that so many people fear. And numbers will show up in a huge variety of ways. I always liken it to color, and then you are a particular shade. So like us, maybe six is blue, and you are like aquamarine or navy. Like there's a really big difference between those two colors, but they're both blue. Yeah. So if we think of it like that, like sixes are blue, sixes are this really big type that there's a lot of variations in. The three subtypes help define that down. So maybe it's like dark blue, light blue, and medium blue. And then there's, you know, will still be different variations within those subtypes, depending on who you are uniquely made to be. So self-preservation is concerned with very practical self-preservation in the actual real world. So for a six, I'm going to use six as an example, but each number has these. So each number yes. is going to show up different ways. For a six, they're going to be very concerned about the practical ways that we can stay safe. So I have a friend who is a six who I think is probably a self-preservation six because she'll talk about things like anytime she goes into a movie theater, the very first thing she does is she plans out the exit where she's going to go in case of a fire. <laughs> yes. She moved into a new house. And she had a friend over who is also a six. He is a police officer. He just has a good mind for this sort of thing. And she's like, okay, come into the house. Now I'm going to walk you through each room and tell you our escape plan for, you know, a shooter or a fire. And I want you to see if it's a good plan. Like literally had this whole plan. Yes. To keep people physically safe. That would never cross my mind. Like the kids know where to go in case of a fire. We have never even practiced it. <laughs> like, Yes. That's like a very self-preservation. Let's keep us actually safe in the real world. That could also be around yeah. money. It could be around practical things. Yeah. The social subtype is how am I going to stay safe within my greater social sphere? So they're going to be really concerned about how they fit in to maybe social groups. Maybe like, is my place in the office secure? Hmm. Is my place in this small group or in church? Am I safe in this greater social group? Yeah. 
So they're going to be less concerned about things like where's the fire escape and more concerned about if I behave a certain way, is my greater social group going to reject me for Mm -hmm. saying that thing? Yeah. And then the last one, sexual or one-to-one, they're very concerned with the one-to-one relationships in their lives. So for a six, they're going to be saying like, okay, so am I safe in this intimate relationships in my life? Mm. All of their anxiety and their focus is going to be toward those relationships, not so much am I safe in my greater community and am I safe physically? But it's going to be more directed to am I safe in this one-to-one relationship? Yes. So that's going to play out in all of these, in all of our numbers. Like you were saying, it's more advanced work. It can get pretty complex. But again, go check out Beatrice Chestnut. She is wonderful. She was actually on my podcast right before you. Yes. It was really fun. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out that I'm coming on after Beatrice Chestnut. She is such a guru of this. And I actually bought her book, The Complete Enneagram, because I'm so fascinated with this. And before we move on, I want to float my theory out here to you. I think that, again, since Enneagram is everywhere and there's memes and lists and checklists and all of this stuff in social media and pop culture, that it seems like there's one of the subtypes that each number like gets kind of identified with. For example, as a nine, I really do believe I'm probably a sexual nine, Mm -hmm. but I have a really strong social component. I go back and forth. Am I sexual? Am I social? I don't know. But I know that my self-preservation, that is the most repressed for me. But I think that that self-preservation nine thing of liking to take naps and, you know, like just doing the Netflix binge, whatever, that is the sort of most memed part of being a nine. And it makes me so mad because I'm like, My life does not look like that Yeah, because it's easy sometimes to just like, here's the broad strokes for this number when you're creating a meme or a checklist or whatever, but it can be really isolating and cause confusion. Like you just gave those wonderful examples of sixes. So if you're like a social six and maybe you do have a more repressed self-preservation like I do, you're not going to be the stereotypical six that's like you said, finding the fire exit all the time. So I just think that if you are pretty sure in your number, but then you get confused or like me get mad (laughs) when you see your number represented only (laughs) in one way, that is a really good time for you to go ahead and check out these subtypes because it explains so much. Yes. And it can just be really helpful even in determining what type you are. You know, I know Tish Oxenreiter has talked about this quite a bit. She thought she was a three for years. And then when she learned the subtypes, she's a four. Yes. And there is one type of one of those three for each of the subtypes. Yeah, it's different for each number. I think so. That's called like the counter type. And so they do look very different. So it can be very surprising and it can be really helpful to look at those because it's not about memes, (laughs) which the memes can be funny and fun, but we need some more depth in Enneagram online, I think. Right. Yes, I totally agree. Okay, well, speaking of six, yeah, Havala, I have to tell you, <laughs> so many of our sixes in our Enneagram lovers group are like, let's talk about sixes. <laughs> because I've read this, I have no empirical evidence to back this up, but I've read that six is actually one of the most common types in our culture. So it's highly likely that lots of us know sixes. There's a lot of things going on with six. So I wonder if one of the main things that you could talk about, because I think what can be confusing for sixes is this idea that there's a phobic six and a counterphobic yep. six. And I don't know if maybe you can help me understand. Are all sixes sometimes phobic and sometimes counterphobic? Do they lean more towards one or the other? Let's talk about that aspect of sixes first. Yes, that is the long and the short answer. Okay. <laughs> we like to type, and I think that's part of the reason the Enneagram has become so popular is because we like to have things divided up into categories. And so this phobic counterphobic thing, I think can feel like, which am I? I have to be one or the other. The reality is that sixes have both in them and sixes are going to show up different ways and in different situations. They're going to maybe lean into one or the other. And you will have some sixes that lean more phobic and you will have some sixes that lean more counterphobic. Yeah. I think you can liken this to wings. So you can have a six that has a really strong seven wing And that influenced their personality a lot. That's my husband. I hardly see any five in him. Mm. Sometimes I'm like, are you a seven? I don't like, (laughs) but for other sixes, they could have really balanced wings. For other sixes, they would have a really, really strong five wing. So I think this phobic counterphobic thing, you can kind of think of it in that way. You can have access to both, particular for your person. You may have more of one or the other, but it's not a value judgment either way, right? Like both of these things come out of fear. 
either way. Right. It's coming from a place of fear and worrying that you are not going to be safe in the world. It's just a different way of dealing with it. Just to back up a bit. So when we're talking about phobic, my understanding is a six who is kind of moving in a phobic pattern is going to really look for authority and be, I don't know what word to use. Maybe you have good language for this, but they're going to like, they want to follow the rules of whatever the authority has set forward. Is that right? Yeah, I think that both phobic and counterphobic are going to, they have a complicated relationship with authority. They're both going to kind of want some authority, but they're also both going to push against it a little bit. Counterphobics are definitely going to push more. I think it's more about yes. like a phobic six is going to be afraid of something and then they're going to not do that thing. They're going to stay as far away from that thing. Okay. Whereas the counterphobic six is going to be afraid of something and they're going to be like, well, I'm going to go do that thing, kind of run toward it. So you can have sixes that are like super into skydiving mm -hmm. and it's because they are using that they're going into that counterphobic way where they're going kind of against their fear. Okay. I would have to do a little more research on that, but I do think that that relates somewhat to the subtypes too. Right. That totally makes sense. Let's talk a little bit to some of the sixes mentioned that it can be discouraging to be a six. And again, I really do believe every type feels in some way like it's discouraging to be this because of this. I think sixes are sensitive to it because their type is often called like the loyalist. But again, they kind of maybe get picked on a little bit in some of the social media, pop culture stuff. Yeah, in the memes for being, you know, everything from being scared, yeah. being anxious, being worried all the time. And they're seeing a disconnect between like, what is so good about being a six anyway? And how are we even the loyalists? Who would want to be friends with somebody who's scared all the time? <laughs> Earlier, you mentioned that there may be more sixes in the world than any other number. And I've heard that too. And I've also heard that that's not true. I don't know for sure. In my particular life, yeah. I don't see that. Like in my group, in the people that I know, I don't know vastly more sixes than any other group yeah. or than any other number. But I do think that there's a lot of six energy. I think we have to have some six energy to be an adult, <laughs> you know, like yes. six energy actually is so helpful. Like we wouldn't have traffic rules or we wouldn't have police officers. We wouldn't have building codes if it weren't for six energy. We really need that. Totally. It helps keep us safe. So I know, and I agree with you, I think all of us feel to a certain extent that there's just all these bad things about being me. There's nothing good. This other number looks so much better. And I think that that's just something that we all need to remember that everybody feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. So they're called the loyalists, I think, because sixes deal a lot with fear, but it's really more anxiety. Mm. And it's based around them not trusting themselves. So sixes have a really hard time trusting themselves. So they look outside of themselves for support and for knowledge and for things to keep them safe. Yeah. And when they find that, when they decide that this person or this organization or this church or this country, these are my people and this is where I'm safe, they stick with that through thick and thin. So that's where that loyalist piece comes in. And I've seen that in, like I said, my husband's a six. I have seen that in his life. They're trusting the system to keep them safe. In the U.S., being loyal is not highly valued and being cautious is not highly valued. In the U.S., we've got a lot of three energy. We've got a lot of kind of one and eight energy. Yeah. Different countries and different cultures are going to value different things and different numbers. So some of that, like what's good about us, probably comes a little bit from that where we are culturally. Yes. Kind of like who wants to be the grown up in the room, <laughs> which I get. But really what some of this is about is we as a collective need your six energy. You help keep us safe. You help us think through contingencies that we haven't thought through before. Yes. And that's not to say that sixes are just like biting their nails all the time, overrun with anxiety, right? I think that that's where the memes can be really unhelpful because like you were saying, it's not that nines are laying on the couch all day. It's not that ones are constantly organizing their spice drawers. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's just that that's a piece of it, right? And that's kind of a base note for them. I have never thought of it, but that makes so much sense about what is valued in our country yeah. and that idea of long-term loyalty and being all in with, you know, whether it's relationship or group or whatever. And truly, you know, on our sort of awesome team, co-host Rebecca is a six. 
And I, over time, have come to so value her energy because as a nine, I can be really disconnected from thinking through what could happen if we do this. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. That's my answer to everything. It's going to work out. Don't worry. So I know I can run past Rebecca, run past ideas, run past different, you know, directions and run it past her and say, what do you think about this? And she can think in ways and assess things in ways that my brain never goes to. And it's so infinitely helpful to have that. And so genuinely, I think it's another example of we can all feel a little bit insecure about how we're perceived, but we all have so much to bring to the table and really to our broader culture too. So, all right, last question. This is a big one. I saved it for the last, but you really are the person I wanted to hear this perspective on because the big, big, big question that people ask is like, how do I do the work of the Enneagram? That, you know, an idea of the Enneagram is it gives you a path out of unhealthiness. What does that mean? How do you do it, practically speaking? So I'm asking you, somebody who has created a whole entire course and is literally actively teaching people in this area, like, how do we do the work? This is where I think the Enneagram, where its power is. It can be so powerful in this, but it's not a quick fix. And I think that that is really important just to state up front. Right. That we can really want like, okay, what's the thing I got to do for six months? And then I'll be healthy. (laughs) And then I'll be fixed. (laughs) This is a lifelong journey toward greater health and greater integration in yourself. Mm. Another thing that I think is super important as we start this discussion is just this quote is that information is not transformation. And I think that that is so key for us as we start to think about, okay, what does health look like? Because we can get stuck, and depending on certain numbers more than others, we can get stuck in this consuming information cycle. I'm just going to learn about the subtypes now, and now I'm going to learn about this, and now I'm going to learn about that, and it'll fix me. It is so important to remember that, that information is not transformation. Transformation needs information. You know, I think that to do the work of transformation and to do this inner work, you do need that information. If you've never been given a greater picture for what life could look like and you don't have that information, then you're not going to be able to imagine that and dream that for yourself and know how to take the steps toward it. But just having that information does not equal transformation. Yeah. Which is hard because, you know, life is painful enough as it is. You just have to wait. (laughs) Right. That can feel discouraging. But also I think that What can be really encouraging is that it's not like you have to devote the next six months of your life solely to this, right? It can be one small thing that you do every day that can actually lead to huge dividends down the road. Yeah. Like the goal of the Enneagram, the reason that it's powerful and the reason we use it is so we can gain this inner freedom, this inner healing and kind of release ourselves from our type. Enneagram wisdom is that we all have all the types in us. And we've kind of fixated on one particular type. That's kind of like the lens through which we see the world. Mm -hmm. And when we're young, that's all we can see. Or if you're a nine, you can see other ways, but (laughs) 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 that's all we can see. And then as we gain more health and more growth, then we actually like take on more of the other numbers. We continue to expand into the other numbers and are able to see the world from different perspectives. And so some of this growth work just means showing up for your life. It just means being present and paying attention. So a lot of the things that we've been talking about today are like when I've suggested something, it's like, do this tiny little thing. Say this teeny little phrase to yourself when you notice this. And that right there is the work. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. That being present to yourself and to your reactions And then finding a way to step in and give yourself a different story. That's the work. That is so good. I was watching Brene Brown last night on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And she said this quote, and I was like, this is it. She said, it is so much easier to cause pain than to feel it. Oh, wow. And I think that that's what so much of this comes back to, that it's so much easier for us to just reactively live out of the stories that we believe about ourselves in the world, which are our types, to just reactively live out of that and cause pain to other people, then to simply sit with it and feel the pain. And then 
work toward creating a new story. Because all of us believe deep down that there is something fundamentally wrong with us and that we are unlovable. And each of the types plays that out in a different way. Mm. But really deep down, that's what it's all about. We all believe that there's something fundamentally broken and wrong with us. And we have to do something or act some certain way or be something so people will love us. So we will have a place and so we will be safe and have meaning and worth in this world. Yeah. And that's just not true. That's just a lie. But the work consists of showing up to yourself in such a way that you can see that in yourself and then you can step in and say, oh, I just did that thing again. Actually, the story that I'm believing about myself, that I'm working toward believing about myself is that I am loved. I am good. I am valuable. I am enough. Yeah. So I think that kind of small everyday work, it can feel so inconsequential. But I have seen in my own life that when I do that, the little things, the little tiny everyday things, it changes. Yes. It changes my insides. It changes my internal experience of myself and of the world. Yeah. And it does over time. It really does start to show up in really exciting ways. So this was so good. I'm always an advocate for therapy. So I think that that is one way to do the work. Yeah. But not all of us are able to access that all the time. The work of being human is what we're really talking about here, you know? Yeah. Just the work of finding your worth and value outside of the externals, outside of what people might think of you, whether or not they value you in the way that you want to be valued, that you are still worthy and valuable and good and loved. So good, Havala. Thank you for that. That is so, so encouraging. And I think really speaks to all of us where we are right now. So you did just wrap up your first go round with the course that you've created that is born out of this passion that you have for helping people really learn how to practically do the work. Enneagram for everyone. Tell us where we can find out more about like if we want to tune into what you have, you know, in terms of the next go round that you have of that or just your general work. Tell us where we can find all of your things all around the web. I do have a lot of things. (laughs) So thetransformationcollaborative.com is kind of my landing page. That's where everything goes. And you can follow me on Instagram at Transformation Collaborative or at Little Faith Podcast or at Enneagram for Everyone. But Transformation Collaborative is my main focus. It's just at Transformation Collaborative. Awesome. And yeah, we finished up Enneagram for Everyone. Oh, I don't know, like a month or two ago. And... It was really great. And I'm actually gearing up now for our second go round. And I wasn't going to open it up quite yet, but I decided, you know, I'm going to do a pre pre sale for the awesomes. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. So it will be available starting Friday when this airs. And you guys can use the code awesome, all caps, and that'll get you $50 off. It's a really big, expansive course. It's 12 weeks long, but we do a lot of this stuff. It'll give you the basics of the Enneagram and even more. It also is giving you every week specific things to do, specific things to work through, specific things to think through, projects that you can do to engage with this work. So awesome. It's Enneagram, but it's also personal transformation. It's the two combined. I've tried to make it in such a way where even if you're brand new to the Enneagram, you can jump in and learn the Enneagram, but alongside it, do some of these transformational things while you're learning. Or if you've been using Enneagram for a long time, you can have a little refresher course at the beginning, but actively be getting these transformational practices that you can do in your everyday life. So awesome. Thank you for that. We will have links to all of that in the show notes, you guys. And you're in the Hangout group too. So I know people can just kind of tag you and follow up there. So great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk through all of these things with us. This has been so helpful. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been super fun. Yeah. All right, you guys, if you want to find me on social media, you can find me at Sorta Awesome Meg. The show is over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or on Facebook anytime at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. 
Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.